0: Welcome to Living Ultra Rare, a podcast sponsored by the ABL Plus Foundation, raising awareness about rare diseases and the people who live with them. And now here are your hosts, Paul Bitterman and Barry Funkhauser.
1: Hello, you're listening to Living Ultra Rare, presented by the ABL Plus Foundation. I'm Barry Funkhauser. And I'm Paul Bitterman,
2: and we're having inspiring conversation with those living with ultra rare disorders and their caregivers. And today, we're welcoming Riley. Hi,
0: Riley. Hi, guys. So nice to be here.
2: Thank you for joining us. So your son, so, so let's get into it. Your son, Luca, is how old
0: now? He will be five next month. Wow, well, five. And uh, where, where and when was he born? He was born uh, February 26th, uh, 2019, in Vallejo, California. And he was a perfectly normal, healthy pregnancy, normal, healthy birth.
2: And uh, when when did you first realize that Luca had something going on with him?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's always funny because you never think you're going to be that person who's in that situation you almost can't believe that it's happening. And Luca was my second child. So I instinctively felt like something was off within probably the first 10 hours of him being born. Um, Because he started breastfeeding, he was very hungry and he would eat and eat and eat, but then he would just projectile vomit, like everything. Um, Not a little bit of spit up, not like just, you know, a little bit of, of burping he had a good latch he had he had all the ability and he was taking in plenty of milk but he just couldn't he just couldn't keep it down and that went on for the duration of the 3 days that i was in the hospital i'd had a c section and it was pretty obvious immediately that something was was wrong with how he how he was able to either digest things or keep things down
1: Take so, us into the operating room. The doctors now are assessing the situation. What are they telling you? Do they know what's going on?
0: No, no. In fact, everybody, uh, everybody just kept sending me to the um, to the lactation nurse and saying, "Well, he probably has a weird latch, and he probably isn't taking it in the right way, and because he's not swallowing it properly, it's it's reacting badly. He probably has reflux, and." Really, that's kind of the go-round that we were in, the pediatrician, the nurse, the pediatrician, the nurse, the lactation consultant, for the first three months of his life. For me, if I hadn't had a child before that, I wouldn't have been nearly as alarmed, I don't think. I mean, I would have been alarmed, but having had a healthy child who... Thri- was thriving and, and did very well after being born. It was just such a stark contrast that he was struggling badly with something that uh, I kept telling the, the lactation nurse and the pediatrician, I don't, I don't think it's reflux. I don't think it's his latch. Um, and meanwhile, they had me doing all kinds of things um, because they thought maybe something was wrong with my, my milk supply. So they had me, um, I would feed him and then I would pump and then I would feed him with the bottle just to make sure that I could measure how much he was getting. And I would do that every three hours. And I did that every three hours for the first um, eight months of his life.
2: Well, you, you've gotten into what we call the, uh, the diagnostic journey. Every, every rare disease patient and their family goes through what we call a diagnostic journey or diagnostic odyssey. Um, it's the process of actually getting a proper diagnosis, which... As you know, with a rare disease, takes a long time. Um, so Luca was finally diagnosed when and with what?
0: Well, it was really interesting because Luca had uh, two major hurdles to being diagnosed. Uh, one, he was an IVF baby who had gone through uh, pre-genetic screening testing as, his, as an embryo. Um, then he was born in California that has uh, a very thorough uh, rare birth um, heel test when a baby is born, and they prick the heel and they check the blood and they they screen it for all kinds of things. So they kept telling us it's so unlikely that this is genetic. It has to be something you know wrong with his body um, or with your body because genetic genetically the likelihood of him after being screened for you know what was like I don't know 150 things through these various these two different genetic screens it, it's just it's just so unlikely that, that, that it could be anything other than, other than that. Um, however, we, we got a new pediatrician when he was, I want to say he was about seven months old, seven, eight months old. And as soon as she saw him, she said the pediatrician before had twin boys who had had reflux, and so she was convinced that it was reflux. But the new pediatrician, as soon as she saw him, said, "We've got to do something right now, like really seriously, because he had failure to thrive. He was only um, he was only eleven pounds when he was uh, seven or eight months old." And she said, "We've got we got to do something." And I said, "Well, what what's the fastest?" best thing that we could do and she said put him in the hospital right now. So that's what we did and we we drove straight to the Oakland uh pediatric hospital, uh the Kaiser hospital and they put him on a feeding tube and then they realized that he needed to be on an elemental formula and that was the first time that he was able to keep a meal down. And we fed him through a tube. They ran a tube down into his stomach. And we fed him through a, through a test tube, basically, that we held up in the air and would, would feed the elemental formula into. And um, when they released us, he was in there for several days. When they released us and sent us home, they had a nurse come over and show us how to do all this. And, and we fed him. And that was the first night that he slept more than three hours in a row um, because he was full. It was the first time that he wasn't starving. So when we were in that hospital visit, they, um, they said, you know what? It can't hurt to run a genetic panel just in case. And we were so lucky because he was born in the Bay Area where there are just so many incredible um, biotech resources for all kinds of things. And, um, and so they took some blood from him then. Uh, it took four months for them to run all of the genetic tests. And they ran something like, I don't know, like 1500 different tests on him uh, through that, that panel. And they diagnosed him on his first birthday. Believe it or not, they called me and they said, we think we know what he has. Now in that four intervening months, he had a lot of tests. He had surgeries. He had biopsies. He had, um, all kinds of different dye tests to look at his GI system and how it was working. Um, So he went through, he went through a lot that first year. And of course, a lot of blood draws, blood draws every week, which for an infant is really something. But when they called me and they said, this is what we think he has. And they explained to me what it was and the symptoms. I knew immediately that that's what it was.
2: And so it was, tell us what it's called first off.
0: It's a little bit of a tongue twister. And sometimes even my husband and I are like, is it, is it this one? It's Kylo micron retention disorder or disease. People say it both ways. Um, For those of you in the the cool, extremely tiny uh, community of of ours, uh, we just call it CRD or CMRD because otherwise that would be a very long thing for us to say to each other all the time.
2: Right. Now, now so we're with the ABL Plus Foundation. ABL Plus, meaning beta lipoproteinemia, which is what I have, plus related disorders, one of which is chylomicron retention disorder. What, what, in your own words, can you explain what the difference is, do you think?
0: Yeah, I, I think I can. So, CMRD or CRD is um, extremely rare. When Luca was diagnosed, there were only 40 other documented cases of it ever, which our geneticist was he apologized, but he was like, as a geneticist, this is the kind of thing that I that I live for. As a parent, it was very confusing. Our doctors had no idea what to do. They were like, we're going to call absolutely everybody that we can. He's missing a gene that allows him to process long-chain fatty acids which are almost entirely what breast milk is made up of. And in your first year, you have to have a lot of long-chain fatty acids to build your brain, your muscles, your skeletal system, your nervous system, all of all of these kinds of things, which is why historically if you had CRD and it was diagnosed, it was almost always diagnosed much too late for them to do much for it. It's particularly hard on the eyes. And so it had a, a pretty high mortality rate. And it meant that you probably were, were going to have serious problems with your eyes and your growth a little further down the road. The way it was explained to me was Luca was born with one gene from me that was already predisposed to this a little bit, um, even though it's very rare. But he also made an extra gene because all people, when they're born, make a couple of extra genes, which is how we evolve as as human beings. And the extra gene that he made just happened out of a billions of chances, just happened to be one that combined with this other gene to create this really, really um, rare and uh, dangerous. Situation where he wouldn't be able to digest any of those things. And that's why when he went to the elemental formula, which was lacking all these high chain fatty acids, he was able to start um, putting on some weight and things like that. Now, uh, A beta lipoproteinemia, from what I understand, right? Yeah, a beta lipoproteinemia. Very, very
1: good. Very uh-huh. good. Yeah. We're, all, we're all Scrabble winners here.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, I wish I could get that word in Scrabble. Are you kidding me? Um, that, would, that would really be something. Um, so I, A-beta, A-beta lipoproteinemia is is the same sort of thing, but it can be treated with sometimes massive doses of vitamins, right? Correct. Yes, correct. Right. For Luca, the only thing that, that can help him at all is not eating the high – uh, the long chain fatty acids, um, vitamins don't do anything for him. He doesn't have to have anything special, um, that way. Uh, and he'll have it, you know, just like you'll have it chronically for the rest of your life. That's my understanding, but you, you know, live with your disorder. So Mm -hmm. what would you think?
2: what's always been explained to me and and we've we had Dr. Bredefeld on recently uh, and she explained it better than I can obviously so ABL CMRD and familial hypobeta which is the third one that we cover my understanding of it is that they're all different mutations of the same gene they present identically in, in a clinical setting which they do because as you saw with Luca just like me, he can't handle the, anything with, with any fat in it really at all. Um, I certainly, at this point in my life, I, I'm better at it than I was when I was his age. Um, but I was in the same boat. My, the doctors in New York had given up on me when I was six months old and my mother didn't. And um, so she, she was instrumental in getting me diagnosed at, at about nine months um but yeah how many do you know how many CMRD patients there are in the world now that we know of
0: So it's it's been an interesting odyssey I I am so empathetic to what your mother went through um and even to this day my my husband feels a little bad for the doctors for that first year because what I do professionally, I'm a reporter, I'm a news reporter, I'm a news editor uh, now, but I was a news reporter for a long time, uh, covering banking and, and all kinds of dodgy fishy things. I'm aggressive. Let's put it that way. If I want to find something out. And so for me, it was just never, a, it was never a choice to just be like, well, he's just got a bad latch and I guess he'll just be a skinny kid. And I, you know, and there was a lot of pressure, you know, from inside our family and, and saying, well, we're thin and people were thin and, you know, and it it just didn't ever feel right to me. He just didn't ever seem to be okay enough you know where i wasn't worried about it a lot um and so i you know i pressured them quite a quite a bit about it and one of the ways they did this was just like if i were writing a story i read every single research paper i could find about this disease and um let me tell you
1: you're the expert now aren't you
0: well i can tell you they are they are very dense papers. There is, some, there is some terminology in there that I had to familiarize myself with for sure. Um, but what I would do is read these studies, and then every single researcher that I could find, I would track them down. And I would call them, email them, um, email their hospitals, email colleagues, find them on LinkedIn, anything I would do normally for a story to find somebody and and say, hey, I have this little boy. He has this disease what should we do? What can we do? Can you study him? Like what, what are we supposed to do? Um, and we were so lucky, uh, in that situation to, uh, to be connected to Dr. Uh, in New York, who has been just a complete, (laughs) a complete lifesaver with Luca and, um, as a test case, Luke is very interesting, right? Because he he was diagnosed very early on, and now um, has been able to be a test a test case for um, you know what the ideal diet should be, so that doctors finally have some recommendations on what they should use uh, or what they do when a kid comes in and says, "Hey, we have this very rare disease," and and. They don't know anything about it. I've we've since moved from the Bay Area to Wichita, Kansas, and finding Luca new doctors, um, the looks on some of those faces, doc those doctors' faces, when we said, guess what? This kid has an, a disease that only a few other kids have. Um, you know, how, teaching them kind of what it means and all those things was a lot. But through that process, and I'm getting to your answers, don't worry. Uh, through that process, I looked on Facebook because what is the great oracle of our time these days, it's Facebook. And I typed it in and I found the A-beta lipoproteinemia group. And I was like, no kidding. That is crazy. So I joined I joined that group and there's some overlap, but not a, as much overlap to where it was like, you know, okay, I'm getting a lot of tips from this, but it, it, it was part of a community, right? And it, that was something that I mean, I couldn't find anybody else who'd even heard of this, let alone, you know, had it. And so I was on that Facebook group. And one day I posted, is anybody else in here have a kid with CMRD or CRD? And I got a message from a woman in South Africa. And she said, my daughter has this. And she her daughter is almost uh, almost the exact same age as Luca. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we connected and we started our own Facebook page. And from that, we now have, I think, like, I want to say like 11 members or something. So what that tells us is that I do think it's, it's really undiagnosed. I don't think doctors know what to look for. I think it looks like a lot of other baby diseases, young baby diseases. And I think that they just don't know how to handle that. So I would say now there's probably at least a hundred people in the world that have it at least just extrapolating from that Um, probably a great many more and probably a lot more in areas where there aren't medical services that can do screening like that. And I hope that through educating, like doing things like this or for having groups like the ones that Paul and I have or symposiums that we can really push to have doctors Be prepared when they when they see it, they know it because it's so crucial in those first in those first few years to do something about it, because otherwise you lose that you lose that opportunity.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm 58 years old and and I still get those looks from doctors going. You got what? (laughs) Um, That that is, I think, our number one goal, both with this podcast. Thank you, Barry, for helping us do this. And also the foundation and the Facebook groups and everything is just to raise awareness, just to get people to realize that these illnesses are out there and there are kids being born today that don't have it or that have it, I mean, and don't get diagnosed. And that's the problem. What amazes me the most about it is here. I was diagnosed in 1966 and for there to still be children being born with it and not getting diagnosed is appalling to me because they should be by now. And they're not.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's really what always gets me. I'm a tough old street reporter. Okay. I'm an alley cat. It's hard. It's hard to rile me up. But the thing that always really upsets me is I get calls now from uh, all over the world. The other, let's see, two months ago, I got a call from a Pakistani family that was um, in Australia. They were trying to immigrate to Australia. I talked to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wonderful people. Yeah. Lovely people. And and they called, they said, we got your number um, from the CMRD a situation, we don't know if this is what our son has, like, what, what do we do? And it's always the same story with every parent I talk to. The doctors have absolutely no idea what to do. They have all these suggestions that if it were colic or if it were reflux would probably be fine, but on a kid with this can really make things a lot a lot worse waiting for those tests and going putting them through all that, um, instead of just, you know, so what I tell them is put them on an elemental formula right now, get the genetic testing right now. Don't be afraid for them not to like you or to think you're being pushy or whatever the deal is because, uh, the time is of, of the essence, but the, the feelings that they have of not being heard as parents and having this child that's starving on your watch. I mean, there's no, there's no way you can ever explain it to another person, especially as as a parent to see your kid just disintegrate in front of you. It's just a horrible, horrible thing. And you're absolutely right that if in medical school we can learn how to do all these other wild 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 things um just to have a, a disease like this it probably is much more common um like yours is much more common than people realize just to have them realize that it's there it would save everybody so much so much heartache and so much pain i think it's where i come from on it
1: i agree oh, okay so luca <laughs> at the first birthday you found out the cmrd news was that relieving to you? what went through your mind at that moment?
0: You know, I felt like when I'm in the middle of a story and it's like that like I got you, I got you i I got you dead to rights, I got you, I got you because once I knew what it was i knew I knew that first of all it wasn't terminal, right, and that was the biggest thing the whole time was. What are we going to do, right? It was so hard having a baby and not knowing if you could get attached to that baby. Because we didn't know what he had and we, they, they didn't know either. And this is the Bay Area with millions of doctors and biotechs and startups and all of these things. And nobody could tell us anything about it. And so first to hear that it wasn't terminal and that we could love him and keep him for as long as we could. And that also that there was a name for it. I was like, now I can get started. And my husband was like those poor people, because I was just after everybody, nurses, doctors, researchers, I mean, Dr. Dekebal, um, he and I get along really well because my mom is Israeli and he spends a lot of time in Israel. So he speaks the Israeli way, which is a very direct, very like one-to-one kind of conversation. So he never gets offended, but other people were like "Wait!" I was like, no, my child is starving. Like you got to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's kind of where we went from there. And um, since then, he had his whole next year to catch up. He went to speech therapy. He went to, he couldn't walk. He couldn't even crawl, um, on his first birthday. Um, he couldn't swallow because he'd had so much damage from the acid in his throat. He had to learn how to chew. He had to learn how to do all of those things. And he went to every possible therapy that we could find covered on our health plan. And, um, and by the time he was two, he was at his two-year-old benchmarks.
1: All right, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, as Luca gets older and grows, are you prepared to guide the way now? I'm sure you're, you're more uh, educated on it than any doctor in the field at this point. But uh, do you feel that you have all the tools that you need moving
0: forward? I think it's interesting because, you know, I talk to a lot of families now you know there's fam i know families in israel in like i said pakistan australia denmark uk south africa who have kids with this and what i tell them from what i've what i've experienced is that I do think that there are are different degrees of severity to this disease because there are some things that Luca shouldn't be able to tolerate that he tolerates just fine. Like olive oil, right? They were like, there's no way he can have that. My husband's Sicilian. I'm Israeli-Mexican. Like He's going to have olive oil or at least be exposed to it. And he tolerates it very well. For other families, they have their kid with like a a note that stays with them that when they go to a friend's house, they hand the note to the parents and say, I cannot have any of these things because if I do, I'm going to get very, very sick. And so it's, it's for us, it's been a trial and error kind of thing, which is, you know, we'll try something. Luckily he doesn't have anaphylactic shock or something. If he eats something that he doesn't tolerate, it's either just going to come right back up or it's going to upset his, his tummy. But we try one thing at a time and see, We're very lucky because he gravitates naturally towards things that that are good for his disease. He loves like he loves any kind of carb, first of all, I mean, pasta, pita, any kind of that like he wants all of that all day long. He also loves greens and Brussels sprouts and asparagus and all of all of that stuff. He eats he eats what we eat mostly. Um, and he also, when it comes to meat, he eats medium chain meats like lamb, goat stuff like that. And he can have goat cheese and stuff like that. So, um, but we try one by one each food and we see if it doesn't work, then then we don't do it. But then I have other friends whose children have it who can't tolerate anything at all or, or who still have their feeding tubes in even though they know what it is and they're on the elemental formula. So I do think that there are degrees of it. So I don't think we'll, we'll ever really be done figuring out what the deal is, which leads me to why I'm currently bothering Dr. Deckelbaum, which is I would really like to see, if not Luca, at least one of the kids that we know as a good candidate for gene therapy. Because... This is exactly the kind of situation that gene therapy theoretically could fix or help a lot. You know exactly what it is. You know exactly what's missing. You know exactly where to find it. They're young. They're resilient. They're healthy. And I'm currently bothering Dr. Deckelbaum to really consider pushing for that to see if any of these CRISPR researchers would be interested in in at least trying that. If they try it and it doesn't work and he still has it, then he still has it. He's going to have it for the rest of his life anyway. And he'll eventually have to manage it himself, right? I mean, I'm sure he'll go through a phase where he just wants to eat cheeseburgers and, you know, do all of that. And that's, well, he's going to learn the hard way, right? There's nothing I can do about that as a mom. But if they could fix it with CRISPR, with with gene therapy, um, wouldn't that be amazing?
2: You know I was I was at the Nord Summit in in DC back in October and that was one of the subjects they talked about was gene manipulation and how they thought they could they thought they could cure a lot of rare diseases using gene therapy and, and using AI so that that was really interesting to me I can tell you Riley that you don't have to worry about Luca because yeah, there are varying degrees. I am a very successful case of A beta. Um there are there are people with it who are not as successful as I am. Um I'm in the same boat where I can tolerate foods that an A beta patient shouldn't be able to tolerate. I love pizza. I eat it all the time. Um I get white cheese on it, but I still eat the cheese. Um you know, there, there are varying degrees of it. And I can tell you, you know, it's interesting you mentioned about how he gravitates towards foods that agree with him. That's not by accident. It's because I can tell you from personal experience that it literally turns my stomach to eat things that I know I can't eat. And he, he's already developing that, that reflex that that knowledge in his brain that yeah this stuff is going to make me sick now yeah i'm the same way i'll go out and get a cheeseburger once in a while or or whatever and i know at my age that i'm going to pay for it and okay that's my choice but i can tell you that that's that's not unusual all the things you said that that he's doing that's how that's how it's going to be
0: yeah, and I think every parent is different, right? I mean, we're California parents. We came from California parents who came from California parents. So we have a very, like, let's let them try it and figure it out. And, like, you know, we're just going to let them be who they're going to be. And um, But we have some more traditional parents in the group, for sure. And for them, I think it's a lot harder to, to be, like, oh. want to let him eat this if i Mm -hmm. because there's there is always that remaining trauma of like them getting sick again right like luca was on his elemental formula until last year and one of the happiest moments of my life i can say is when we went to his nutritionist because he sees a nutritionist. he used to see the nutritionist like every two weeks but now he sees the nutritionist once a year and i said to my husband I don't think he needs the formula anymore. Now my husband was just as traumatized by this whole scenario as I was. And so he was like, I I don't, I don't think I cannot give him the formula because what if we like, what if it happens all over again? You know what I mean? And your rational brain says it can't happen all over again because we know what he has and we're feeding him things that, that work and he's going to be okay. Um, And then if it's not, we'll just give him more formula. But, the part of your brain that's a protective caveman parent is like, just keep him on it forever. Right. And so eventually it was like, it was harder to wean Leo off of the, the formula than Luca, I think. Um, and so we did, we did stop the formula for six weeks. And then we went to see his nutritionist and his nutritionist ran his levels and was like, he doesn't need it anymore because what he's eating is is he's perfectly healthy. All of his levels are perfect. His vitamins are perfect. His weight is actually higher than for a kid, um, his age, he's right in the mid range of everything. And, um, and so he doesn't need it anymore. And that for us was a great relief because our insurance didn't cover it. It was so expensive. Um, but it still is hard. I can tell for Leo to just be like, especially when Luca gets sick or catches a cold and it's like, Oh, he would really like, oh, I just wish we had some of it. And I'm like, no, we gotta, we gotta cut the cord. Um, but it was, it was one of my happiest moments when I was like, we really can do this. Like we really can have this kid, we can feed him and he's going to thrive and he's going to be okay. And he doesn't have to, doesn't have to have anything crazy or special, you know? Um, Which I think is good, you know, which I think is good for him. Just to know that he can take care of himself, you know, if he has to. And he will. Yeah. Yeah. We also had two children after Luca. He has two little brothers now. So as far as he's concerned, he's just the biggest, baddest T-Rex on the block. So we're just we just let him think that. And he, he is. He's a very tough kid, for sure. He doesn't really know that there's anything wrong with him, except that he's very special and that he sometimes has a kind of a tummy trouble situation. But um, we've never like really been heavy-handed about, like, this is the thing that happened and you almost died. Because I just feel like it's a lot. It would just be a lot for a small, small kid, you know.
1: You, you'll get to that later.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> Well, I hope to stay connected with you. Uh, it's lovely to have you on here, Riley, and uh, keep us track with uh, Luca's birthdays coming up. Uh, we'd love to hear about the progression and if you hear yeah. about any advancements in the in technology and
0: robots taking over. I'm looking uh, for a picture to show you guys.
2: Oh, well, while you do that, let me ask a, a closing question of you, if you don't mind. Um, yes. If you could talk to a parent right now who is going through – Uh, They have a child who's sick and they don't know what it is. It doesn't have to be CMRD or ABL. It could be any illness Or, or a doctor who's struggling with a child that is sick. What would you tell them?
0: If you're a parent, don't take no for an answer. Don't don't take no for an answer. Go to the emergency room. Take them to the hospital. Stay there until you find someone who will listen to you because Doctors and nurses are just like everybody else at their job. They are overwhelmed. They are stressed out. They have a million things that they are doing. It is not personal. They're not trying to brush you off. Hopefully. I hope not. Um, But there may be someone there who has the bandwidth or the curiosity or has maybe seen something like it or knows somebody who's seen something like it or maybe read something about something like it that can help you. So, don't feel like it's, you're the crazy one and it's in your head and like, oh, you know, it's just me and I'm just I'm being overprotective. And if you really feel like there's something wrong, stay there and don't take no for an answer. And hopefully it'll get to a point where you're triaged to specialists and those specialists will work on it full time because that's their job. And for a doctor, I would say do the thing that's the hardest thing for doctors, which is ask for help from other doctors, or dare I say it, nurses, because nurses see a lot of frontline stuff that doctors don't necessarily see. And the nurses were the first ones to tell me, I think he needs elemental formula way before doctors did way. I mean, like months before doctors did. So Don't be afraid to ask questions and say, you know, whatever it is, ask your alumni group, ask on LinkedIn, ask, ask everywhere. Say, I've got this kid. It's presenting with these things. Has anyone ever heard of anything like this before? And don't be afraid to listen um, because it may be something, it may be something that's so rare that it will never be caught unless you're the one who catches it, you know? Yep.
1: Great advice. You know, hope, it doesn't happen to you, but if it does, you know, prepare yourself.
0: Well, right. And I, that's another thing I would say to parents, which is it's a hard thing when you hear that you have a kid with a, a, a chronic disability that they're going to have for the rest of their life. It can be a heavy, heavy thing. And you feel like it's overwhelming. And how am I going to do this? This is, I never thought I'd be this person. I never thought it would be my kid. I don't know how to do it. How are we going to afford it? Are they going to be able to live on their own? Are they going to be, are they going to die early? Like what, what are we supposed to do? Have all those feelings, feel all those feelings, but know that this is the best time in history for this to have happened because there are so many scientific resources and so many humanitarian resources, even if it's just a Facebook group that can reach out and help you and support you through this. And all you need to worry about doing is just loving your kid, man. That's all you need to do just worry about loving them and making sure that they're supported and as comfortable as they can be and just be an advocate because they can't, they're too little.
2: Very good advice. Thank you for uh, taking the time, Riley. We really
0: appreciate it. Sure. Of course. You've been listening to living ultra rare. This podcast has been made possible by the ABL plus foundation, providing scientific data-driven information and guidance in the diagnosis and management of a beta lipoproteinemia and related disorders. Thank you for listening. To learn more and to donate, please visit ablfoundation.org.